0: It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a little intimidating, because um, where's Dr. Callis? There you are, uh, because uh, Ellsworth and I were eating lunch a week ago, and he said that he was going to be here, and I said, that really makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's kind of like having Mickey Mantle drop by your fifth grade softball game. <laughs> and. Uh, As if that wasn't enough pressure, uh, Tim Tennant just came by and said that the ATS review team is here. Raise your hands if you're with that team. That's one pressure off, okay. (laughs) And I'm going to break all the rules of preaching. Dr. Callis, please forgive me. You're not supposed to use notes, but I'm going to go through 30 things you're supposed to that ways of looking at the Sabbath, and I couldn't remember. I tried doing it without the and I couldn't do that. And I'm not going to get through them all. So you should never start a sermon that you can't get through the whole thing, but I'm going to see how far I get through it. So I'm breaking all the rules and I'm a little intimidated. But I have to tell you that to be here today in this series of talking about the Sabbath and taking time for the Lord is to me a miracle. It is the Lord's hand at work that we are gathered here to talk about this today, and you are evidence of that. I'll tell you, my I do not speak to you abstractly. I speak to you out of experience. I've kept the Sabbath for 12 years. When I became a Christian, when I read this book for the first time 12 years ago, I didn't know you weren't supposed to keep any of the Ten Commandments. And so our family just started keeping uh, a Sabbath, and as all of us became followers of Christ, it was just ingrained in our, our, in our understanding of Christ. And for the first four years, that was fairly simple because we had a schedule like uh, many people where the weekend we stopped on and, and so it was somewhat simple. And we would get prepared for that, and we would do the homework. The kids would do the homework, and they'd do the housework. And on Sundays, we would go to church, and we would come home, and we would eat, and we would rest. And it was pretty straightforward. But about eight years ago, my life started getting more and more and more complicated. And I started traveling, and some years, it's been 150, 200 days out of the year that I'm on the road but I have kept the Sabbath with the help of my wife and the help of our staff, and it's on the calendar four to six months in advance. I know when it's going to be, but I have the least ideal way of doing it because we have to shift it around. That's, and yet we keep it. Um, what do we do on this Sabbath? We, we go for walks. We, we take naps. Um, last year I read the Bible out loud uh, from Genesis through to Revelation to Nancy. And this year, she's reading out loud to me the canon of C.S. Lewis. It's a little easier to listen to in some ways. Um, <clears throat> and uh, our children are grown and married and out of the home, but uh, they keep Sabbath, and I think they would say that it's one of the best gifts that we've given them. But I have to tell you that Sabbath is a very hard thing. And when I wrote 24-6, and it came out, I had no idea how hard it would be for people to receive this message. We were up against tremendous odds, and if you're trying to keep the Sabbath, or if you're trying to preach or teach the Sabbath, you are up against forces that are gigantic. All over America, there are people gathered in boardrooms and in front of computers, and their job is to take Sunday, away from the Lord. They may not know that as their job description, but that is what they are doing. And they work quite hard at this, and I'm finding out more and more about those forces. I was um, teaching recently, and somebody came up, and they told me about their family grocery store. It's always been closed on Sunday, and they told me the enormous pressure that's being brought to bear by the distributors to open up. Same story from an automobile dealer who is closed on Sunday and the enormous pressure to open up that store. Did you know that you cannot sign a lease in virtually any shopping center in the United States or mall particularly, that you don't have to agree to keep your store open seven days a week? There are are folks that have been at this and they've been at it a long time and you can trace the history of this back to Hollywood, and them deciding how can they get Christians to go to church on Sunday. You know how they did it? They made movies like The Robe and The Ten Commandments. And so the people have had enormous budgets to do this, and when we started 24-6 and working on the Sabbath, there was not one human being that I know of who was employed full-time in the United States to do the opposite, to say purposefully... I will take Sunday and set it aside for the Lord in keeping with the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. And that has changed. I'm going to put my staff on the spot. Will everybody with blessed earth stand up for a second? Three to 300 million. That's that's what we've got here. Those are perfect odds to see the Lord at work. And and so I'm very thankful that we're here today and we're talking about this, and I believe it's a miracle what's happening. Now, I've taught over the last two and a half, almost three years, on Sabbath again and again and again, and I've taught to lay people, and I've taught to medical people, I've talked to business people. I took a bunch of hedge fund managers to breakfast at Rockefeller Center and taught on this. I'll go anywhere and I'll talk about it, but... It's developed over that time that about two-thirds of the time I am teaching and preaching and working with pastors. And you guys and gals are a tough group because you have... I'm not saying you're tough to work with, but you have a lot coming at you. And like me in the traveling, uh, you have a more difficult schedule than somebody who's off work on the weekends. and I want to take a poll that I often give, and we're gonna take it right now. Raise your hands if you think the Ten Commandments are a good idea. Raise your hand. Alright? Raise your hand if you think it's a good idea. Alright? Raise your hand if you're against it. The eyes have it. Everybody thinks Ten Commandments, good idea. Raise your hand if over the last couple of years you have regularly kept a Sabbath. There is a gap. There's less of a gap here than in most churches that I ask this. But there is a gap between those who say they believe that the Ten Commandments are good and those who keep them. And that is a credibility gap in the church. one of the things that our ministry, Blessed Earth, has gotten to do is to work with a group—a specific group of pastors in North Carolina, 2,000 Methodist clergy. Now, we probably have one or two Methodist clergy in the room, right? Uh, and we—and that came with a lot of resources, the ability to work with them. And one of the resources were survey tools that were in place, and we actually knew when we began how many of those pastors kept the Sabbath on a regular basis. Nine percent. Nine percent. Now, that's better than many other traditions, I have to tell you. But nine percent, think about it, Think, and I, I can't help but think about it in my first profession, medicine, imagine if nine percent of pediatricians buckled their kids in car seats. Imagine if nine percent of surgeons washed their hands before they went in to do surgery. Now, surgery is really important, and the surgeon can get to thinking it's their great skill that's going to save you. But you know what 90% of the reason is that people do badly after surgery? Infection. And so we can get to forgetting what the basis of sometimes what we're practicing is. Now, I didn't appreciate what I was getting into as I started this. I had some idea, I felt called by the Lord to do this, but I didn't really appreciate, and I have a medical story to to share with you, which I think illustrates kind of uh, an analogy of what I was getting into. I was practicing in the ER uh, one Saturday afternoon and a mom brought in a a small boy. He was two or three years old. And uh, she said, I think he has something in his nose. And uh, that's not unusual for little kids. Usually it's their finger. And, um, and so uh, I looked at this little fella, and uh, he looked fine to me. He was grinning at me like the Alfred E. Newman, what me worry kid. And that's probably before many of your time, but he didn't have a care in the world. And I learned something, and that was to always take Dr. Mom seriously. Dr. Mom said something was going on. It's worth your while as a doctor to investigate it. And so, I got this little fella down, and I looked in his nose, and I really didn't see anything. But Mom said, I think there's something in there. And so, we got a speculum, and I got that nares opened up, and sure enough, there was a little black something back in there. And uh, they handed me a forceps, and I got a hold of it, and I started pulling something out of this kid's nose. And what I pulled out was a piece of foam that big. He had been playing with indoor-outdoor carpet, and it had black foam glued on the back. And he pulled off this piece about like that. And what do you do when you're two or three years old and you get a piece of foam like that pulled off? You stick it in your nose if you're (laughs) two or three years old. And I pulled this thing out, and it reminds me of getting started with the Sabbath. Because when I get started, I had no idea what was behind it. That Once you grab onto a piece of heaven and you start pulling, there's something bigger behind it than you could ever imagine. <laughs> Dr. Calls, tell me if I need to work on a different illustration <laughs> uh, next time. And so I think we're only beginning to scratch the surface with Sabbath and what it means in a modern 24-7 context. It's kind of like a child learning their sums. They have no idea the beauty and the power of a quadratic equation, much less getting derivatives. And I think we're, we're just beginning to see what, what it can do. And so what I wanted to do today was to give you a peek over the horizon, perhaps, because I often have to go and give Sabbath 101. And that's what you'll start with with your congregations is Sabbath 101. But I want to give you a peek over the horizon by giving you 30 ways to look at the Sabbath that you may not have considered. Take notes. I'm going to go fast. Number one is in the uh, the context of the Ten Commandments. Now, this is pretty commonly done. We know that the the ten, good, people are pulling out paper. You can get computers out too, iPads, I don't care. Um, We know that this is done pretty commonly because we know that the ten commandments are not arranged randomly. There are three commandments about God. We'll let you have the God commandments. I'm the Lord, your God, don't have any other gods uh, and and, uh, don't make idols and don't take my name in vain. Those commandments are about God. There are the people commandments. Honor your parents, don't kill, lie, cheat, steal, run around, put stuff on your credit card to keep up with your neighbors. I'm paraphrasing. It says thou shalt not put stuff on your credit cards. Um, Now those are about people, right? And so we'll put those over here. The God commandments, the people commandments. We've just boiled all the Bible down just like Jesus did. Jesus, what does the whole Bible, what does the law of all the prophets say? Love God, love people. Where does the Sabbath go? Which Which group does the fourth commandment belong to? Over here or over there? Both, correct. It is a bridge between the two. It is the only commandment which God specifically applies to God. And when we walk out onto that bridge, God is there and we meet God, and that bridge is being destroyed. If you want to attack a country, there aren't enough bombs to blow up every road in every country, destroy every building. What you have to do is be strategic. And when someone invades a country, what do they blow up first? The bridges. Remember that we're fighting something here very specific. Very malevolent. Another way of talking about the Sabbath is in the context of healing. Jesus does the majority of his healings on the Sabbath. Not an accident. And he does seven of them that are recorded specifically as being on the Sabbath. Now it's kind of interesting as if you were to give a sermon just about Jesus' healings on the Sabbath. You might talk about um, the man born blind or the the lame person healed at the pool at Bethesda. Remember, though, that these are just metaphors or analogies or similes. I never remember which one is which. The person may be blind, but it's spiritual blindness that Christ is healing. The person may be lame, but they are unable to walk in the ways of the Lord. And that's what's really going on here. The first healing that Christ does on the Sabbath is of particular uh, importance to ministers. If you would learn to master this, your life is going to be 99% easier in your ministry. What does Jesus do in his first healing on the Sabbath? He throws an unclean spirit out in the synagogue. You will encounter this. Take notes. The second healing I'm just going to mention might not be of importance to you, but it's importance of to me. I think people often read by Jesus curing the fever of Peter's mother-in-law as being not really that big a deal. Now Luke says it's a high fever. He'll give you that. But I've had a Jewish mother-in-law for 35 years. <laughs> you know, I've got an insight into this miracle that made it a lot bigger appearing to me. If you quit your paying job to serve Jesus and you can get your mother-in-law to get out of bed and make dinner for Jesus, that's a miracle, okay? <clears throat> and, and if you preach this way on the seven miracles, that that miracle of Jesus healing the man with dropsy, pay particular attention to that because modern Bibles Divided up with headings so we can find things conveniently, and they'll say, "Jesus cures the man of dropsy." He's sitting at a Sabbath meal, and he's beginning his sermon on the Sabbath there, and keeping the Sabbath. And he cures that man with the dropsy, and then he goes on to what is often called the great wedding banquet, the invitation to the, the banquet or the feast. And Jesus is talking about Sabbath there. There's no break in the story. It's a continuous story. And we often say, well, he's talking about heaven. Yes, but he's talking about Sabbath. They're intertwined. They're interlinked. Okay, next, number three, holiness. I'm not going to say too much about this because you guys are from what tradition? The holiness tradition. Where does holiness show up in the Bible? Always pay attention to the first or the last time something shows up in Scripture. Where does holiness show up first? In Genesis, what is holy? Sabbath, it's declared holy. It's interesting, King James translates as sanctified the day. There's no difference. It's, a, it's an accurate translation, I believe. But kadosh means to be set apart. And there's, that is the context of the entire book of Genesis is the Sabbath and holiness. I'll let you who are in the holiest tradition go further with that. Another way of teaching about this is 2 Chronicles 30. 2 Chronicles 30 is Hezekiah rebooting the Passover. The Passover has been lost. The Passover is the holiday, the holy day. Remember where that word comes from. And it's been lost. Less than 9% of the priests now in Jerusalem are prepared for it or know how to keep it. And there's a whole formula for how to read boot a holiday that's been lost. Does it matter if you do it on the right day? No, they get the month wrong. Does it matter if you're prepared? No. They aren't sanctified. They aren't holy enough to do this. But they call on the Lord. And they can make the sacrifices. And they do it. And guess what? Passover lasts twice as long as it's supposed to. Passover's key to thinking about Sabbath because there's three great Passovers in Scripture. The first, this one, and the third with Christ. And so link those to Sabbath as you, as you teach. Another way, fourth way, is health and longevity. I hesitate to do this because we live in such a narcissistic society that to say that something is good for you makes people perk up. But, but Sabbath is good for people's health. And more and more studies are coming out that show that when people stop, they're healthier. When you go all the time, your body begins to make chemicals to try to deal with it. In the short term, you make a a set of drugs called the catecholamines. These are the fight-or-flight drugs. It's adrenaline. Has anyone here ever had a shot of adrenaline, epinephrine? You had an allergic reaction, correct? You couldn't breathe right. Adrenaline saved your life. I used to love to give it to people. I got credit for saving their life. But three hours later, I'll share with people how you felt. Like a greyhound bus had hit you, correct? I won't even tell them all the bad things that happened three hours later. I never warned anybody. I just wanted credit for making people better. But the the point is, when you make these drugs to deal with stress all the time, it begins to wipe you out. When you're under stress month after month, never knowing when that next Sabbath is going to be, the body begins to make a set of chemicals uh, called the stress steroids, the glucocorticoids. And these make you feel better under the short term, and long term they give you diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and depression. Is there any of that going around? And so the Sabbath is simply good for your health. The people who keep the Sabbath the most in this country live the longest, the Adventists in Loma Linda, California. And they live the longest, and I think there's a connection there. The sixth way, and I'm almost out of time, boy, I'm really going to have to hustle here, (laughs) is miracles and seeing God. I started doing this because maybe by nature I'm a cynical person and medicine made me more cynical. But I became a Christian and God wanted me to work on that. And in particular, with connection with the Sabbath, I started doing a habit that I recommend to you if you have any cynicism in you. So the one or two of you are here who have that. Find a miracle every day. Write it down. Take a picture of it with your phone. If you look for a miracle, you will see a miracle every single day of the week. And write it down. And then on your Sabbath, just review the six that went before. I saw sea whelk egg castings in the last couple of weeks. Beautiful, magnificent. We were given a little jar of honey by someone at a church. We left, and we didn't have any crackers. We went to Wendy's, and there were free crackers on the table. (laughs) I saw a four-year-old girl in church two weeks ago who was so beautiful. It was insane, the magnitude of the miracle in front of me. I serve the God who invented the weekend. Keep track of the miracles and your life will change. Teach your congregation how to do it. Oh, my goodness. You'll have, a, you'll have an entirely different life. Integral to miracles is thankfulness. If there's one kind of work to do on a, on a Sabbath, write a thank you note every time and it'll change your view of things. The seventh way is parenting. I'm going to have to speed up, but parenting and Sabbath intimately connected. Sabbath, if you, how many of you have children? Raise your hands. You teach your children the Sabbath and it'll do the heavy lifting of of parenting for you. My children kept the Sabbath through high school, through college, through medical school, and my son through residencies. Now, my son-in-law is here today, and he'll just have to close his ears, but I'm going I'm to tell you what the results were. They, they graduated, both of my children, first in their high school, first in their college, first in medical school, first in residency. They're smart kids, I'll give you that. They got a Jewish mom. but they had something nobody else ever had. They had rules that didn't change every week, and they had a day off. Let Sabbath do the heavy work of parenting for you. Marriage. How many of you have taken a class on marriage counseling? Raise your hand. How many of you in that class talked about the Sabbath? Zero. It's interesting to me that the Sabbath commandment has helps you keep all the other commandments it gives a place and a time for it as Christ told you a commandment isn't something you don't do Christ is telling you to do all the stuff that keeps you from getting there so don't not uh, you're not supposed to kill somebody but Christ is saying it's really about being at peace and not angry with somebody isn't he So if the commandment tells you thou shalt not commit adultery, what is it really telling you? What's the opposite of committing adultery? Okay, let's put it this way. As children, how many of you were made to take naps on Sunday? Raise your hand. What do you think was going on? Ah, the lights are coming on all over the room. Don't think that... (laughs) Amen! Don't think that God didn't have a plan here. Okay? When I ask people what happened on their Sundays as children growing up, they tell me about going to church, they tell me about having meals with family, they tell me about being made to take naps. Marriage is falling apart because there isn't time for it these days, because there's nothing that isn't negotiable, relativistic. And when the Sabbath becomes a sacred time for God and for family and for marriage, things are going well. My wife just gave me the time out. Um, our time's up, signal thank you. I couldn't make it without you. I'll go down the list. Can I, do I have time to even go down the list? No, I do not. I didn't even make it to nine. Can I just say nine? Okay. The poor, the orphans, and the slaves. Social justice. Last one. Okay? There's 21 more here. <laughs> Dr. Callis, have you ever seen any preaching this bad? <laughs> Social justice and... Se- what? Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. Social justice and Sabbath, they're so intimately related. I don't need to tell you about this. It's the commandment that mentions the poor, the orphan, the child, the stranger in the land, cattle, oxen, donkeys, you name it. It's all there. But I'll leave you with this. It's not about, it's not about Sabbath for you. It's about Sabbath for others. That's social justice. And when I started medicine, Everyone who worked in the hospital, other than the doctors, everyone who worked in the hospital on Sunday got paid time and a half. If you were a nurse, it was a compensation that you had to be away from your family. How do I enact this now? I have to go out to dinner after I preach often. I don't have to, I need to. And uh, so you have to go to a restaurant often. I leave 100% tip every time. I have had people come over and say, um, and I'll I'll just leave a note, I'm sorry to make you work on Sunday, God bless you. Imagine how long it would take people in restaurants to start wondering what was going on at church if everyone did this. And I have yet to have anyone come and say, you insulted me (laughs) Uh, with this. I thank you so much for being part of this miracle of reversing this trend of the whole world that wants to take Sundays away from God. And let us, please forgive me uh, for only getting nine through. Let's close our heads and pray. God, I thank you for these young men and women and the people who lead them and teach them and this Sabbath initiative that's taking place here It is an impossible task. The whole world is against them. It's against Sabbath. The wood has been soaked with water again and again, and it is impossible for it to be lit. But with you, God, this is an easy task. On our own, we will fail, and with you, we can do nothing but succeed. It is our faith that separates us from that. So give us the faith to be holy, the faith to be sanctified, the faith to be kadosh, set apart. We ask all this in your Son's name, the Prince of Peace. Amen.